Thank you for tuning in to listen to this week's sermon at Bethel Church. Every week, Pastor Jeremy Dean delivers a powerful message rooted in Scripture, a heart for the gospel, and a love for God and His church. We also hope you check out the Bethel Church podcast, which release on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. throughout the year. To learn more about Bethel Church, you can visit lovingbethel.com. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here's Pastor Jeremy Dean. Hey, take your Bibles, go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of John. And actually this morning, we're gonna, I'm going to have you turn to a couple of places, but I want you to get to John chapter 1, verse 19 first. That's where we're going to, that's the meat of our sermon today. That's where we're going to hang out most of the time. But we do have to go to a couple of other places to kind of get some context for where we are. Um, just as you're getting there, what we have seen so far in the Gospel of John is that John, the author, wrote this Gospel to both Greeks and to Jews, to Gentiles and to Jews, really to convince us or to make the case that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That He is the Word. The Word was in the beginning with God and the Word was God. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That He is the true light and that light is the life of men. That Jesus is, is everything. And His Gospel, He's making the case and putting this case together to show us that Jesus is who He said He was and will do all that He's promised to do. And so here in verse 19, if you take a look at verse 19, we're going to read these verses together. John moves from the big picture of his Gospel and the theme and the prologue of his Gospel to now making the evidence and making the case. And so we see here, we're introduced to a guy named John. Now don't get confused as we talk about this. You have John the author, right? Who was the apostle that we have not yet met in the narrative, right? But that's the, his name, John, the author of the gospel, it carries this name. But this is not the same John that we're going to read in this text, right? The text we're about to read is about a guy named John, who we call John the Baptist, all right? So we're going to be looking at John the Baptist this morning. Look at John 1, verse 19. It says, and this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist, all right? When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth of John's Gospel that You've given us, the eyewitness testimony that he has given us, testifying that You are the Christ, our Savior, that You are the Son of God, our Lord. 
And so, Father, as we read your word and we understand it, God, help us to know the truth and help us to apply it to our lives that we, we would be conformed to your word, that we would be renewed in our minds, that we would live in this world as witnesses of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We invite you to teach us. It's in your name we ask all these things. Amen. You know, I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple of places. And we, in John's Gospel, he, he quickly, in verse 19, introduces us to John the Baptist. He says quite, quite simply that this is the testimony of John. And when you think of the word testimony, it often comes with a courtroom setting or, 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 or making a case for something. And it's, it's a testimony is the story. It's the affidavit. It's the, uh, the details that someone has about something that has taken place. That someone, a person who has a testimony, is a witness. It's a person who has knowledge of a particular event, who is firsthand knowledge. They were there. They saw it. They were around when it took place. And that person, a witness with firsthand knowledge, has some reliability. They have some credibility, especially against those who have secondhand knowledge, those who were not there. And John, the author, tells us that this is the testimony, this is the witness of John the Baptist. And John's going to, the author is going to walk us through what, who John the Baptist is, what his identity is, what authority he has to do the ministry he's doing, and then later the message that John the Baptist has. But we need to understand a little bit about who's coming on the scene. Go, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. All of the Gospels reference the ministry of John the Baptist. Matthew gives a pretty lengthy account of the of his baptism and the message that John the Baptist would give Luke goes all the way back to uh, to when John the Baptist was born in fact in Luke I won't make you go there but in Luke chapter 1 there was an angel who appeared to Zechariah which is John the Baptist's father and told Zechariah that he would have a son and that this son would prepare the way for the Messiah that he would baptize. And so even before John the Baptist was born, God's plan for John the Baptist's life was already kind of set. God had a purpose and a plan for John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist grows older and becomes an adult, we see in Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 1, he says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. He's preaching in verse 2, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's interesting, if you go to Matthew 4, verse 17, that's the same message that Jesus started preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so John is on the scene, and he is preaching out in the wilderness, away from Jerusalem, away from the center of religious activity, and he's preaching repentance, and he's preaching that God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is close. God's kingdom is near. God's doing something big. God's doing something great among the people of that day. He's getting ready to do something pretty cool, right? And so that's the message that John is giving. And if you look, skip down to verse 7. 
As John is preaching and as he is baptizing, it says in verse 7 of chapter 3, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he spoke to them. Now, in John chapter 1 verse 19, he says that this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. And the Jews sent priests and Levites to ask John the Baptist a question. That's what John is telling us. We need to understand a little bit about who these priests and Levites were. And in Matthew, as you look at this parallel passage, we get an, under, we get an idea of who these Pharisees and Sadducees were. Look at what John says to them in verse 7. He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There's some heavy stuff here. John the Baptist's ministry is simply to get a people ready for the coming of the Christ. And this is the first coming of Jesus. This is the first coming of the Christ. At this stage, Jesus has been born, right? Jesus is a man, right? But he's John is not preparing him for Jesus coming and being born in the manger. John is preparing him for the coming of the Savior who would die on a cross and give forgiveness of sins and restore to life. He is preparing people for that. What's interesting, as we look at our place in history, our ministries today are similar to John the Baptist. In the same way that he was a witness to the coming of Christ, we also are a witness to the coming of Christ. But we are not a witness to His coming to the cross. He's already come to the cross. He's already died in our place. He's already offered the forgiveness of our sins. He's already done everything that needs to be done to forgive us and make us right with the Father so that we can have eternal life with Him in glory so that when we pass on from this physical life, we pass on and go to be in heaven with Him forever in eternity, right? We're not testifying we're not bearing witness that he's coming to the cross today with our neighbors and our family and our friends. Our ministry is to bear witness and testify that he has come and he has offered salvation to you. It's good news. It's the gospel. And we are called to be a witness like that. Now, these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they don't get some of these things right. If you're, if you're taking notes, uh, the big idea this morning is this. An effective witness always points people to Jesus. An effective witness always points people to Jesus. And what we see about John in these verses is that he was concerned for the hearts of people. 
He was concerned for the masses. He was concerned for the crowds. He was concerned for the people. And he may have been somewhat concerned for the religious leaders. Because when you see what, when you read what John says to him in Matthew 3, verse 7, he says to the Pharisees, he calls them, you brood of vipers. In other words, he calls them snakes. Now, with, you know, if you, if you were called a snake, you, you would not like that because with that idea comes that you're deceptive, that you're evil, that you're dark, that there's something not right about you, that you're untrustworthy. And John the Baptist, when these religious leaders, these priests and Levites, these Pharisees, these religious authorities come to John the Baptist, he calls out to them and calls them deceitful, evil snakes. And he asks, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Now, it's interesting that they were probably not coming to John the Baptist with the idea that we are running away from God's wrath. No, in their minds, they thought they had it all together. The religious leaders of their day, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were a self-righteous people, a prideful people that thought they already had God's favor. They'd already earned God's favor. They had no need to flee the wrath of God because they already had it. They already escaped it because of their own righteousness. Jesus even says of the Pharisees, if you really want to know what the Pharisees were like, read Matthew 23, the whole chapter. I'll give you these first three verses of it. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They're hypocrites. The religious leaders of the day, these Pharisees and Sadducees who were coming to John the Baptist, they were supposed to be the models of what having a relationship with God was like. But they were so focused on themselves, had no concern for those around them, that they thought they had it all together. They thought that by doing this and doing that and, and doing the right things, doing the works of the law was enough to earn God's favor and to have a right relationship with Him. The Pharisees and Sadducees and their pride and their arrogance, they show us what religion without a relationship looks like. They show us what religion without a relationship with God looks like. It's all about themselves. They came to John the Baptist in this pride and in this arrogance. And also he says to them, he says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John is preaching repentance and people are coming to John the Baptist and they're being baptized in the Jordan River for the repentance and the forgiveness of sins, right? They're coming and they're confessing their sins, it tells us in Matthew chapter 3. And they're repenting. What John says to the religious leaders is that, look, if you're coming to escape God's wrath and you're coming for repentance, then when you step out of the water, you must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's a changed life. It's a changed heart. It's no longer about what you can or cannot do. It's no longer about yourself. It's no longer about earning God's favor. It's understanding and repentance that I have humbled myself before God. He has forgiven me. And because of what He has done for me, I'm going to live my life 
as an offering to him. I'm going to let God bear fruit in my life, change my heart, change my mind, change my actions so that what I do and how I live reflects the change he's worked in my heart. But the Pharisees missed that. The Pharisees didn't understand that. They were prideful. They were presumptuous. It says in verse 9, it says, And do not presume to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. They presumed or assumed that they were already good with God because their ancestry was Abraham, because they were Jews, they were Israelites, they were God's people. Salvation doesn't come to us because of blood other than Jesus' blood shed for us. Salvation doesn't come to us because of the faith of our mom or our dad or our grandparents. Salvation doesn't come to us because you sat on this seat 30 years ago and you keep coming and sitting on this seat. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who died for you and gave Himself for you so that you can have life, is surrendering to Him. The Pharisees, these religious authorities, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They were prideful. They were posing. They were fakers. And they were presumptuous. And so go back to John chapter 1. When he says in verse 19, this is the testimony of John, the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, now we have an idea who we're talking about. The Jews, the Pharisees, sent these priests and Levites to ask these questions of John the Baptist. These were the prideful, presumptuous, religious authorities coming to, into the wilderness to find out who is this John the Baptist and what authority does he have to do what he is doing. They didn't come for repentance. They didn't come because their hearts were right. They didn't come because they wanted to flee the wrath of God. They didn't come because they wanted to be right with God. They wanted to come to find out who is stepping on our territory as if we were to stop the sermon right here, I think the big question would be, what's your relationship with God like? Is it the person who's coming in humility and asking God to forgive you of your sins so that you can walk and live and bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Or is it like the Pharisees thinking, I've already got it together. I'm already good enough. I'm already doing enough. I've already earned my way. See, it's not about me. It's not about myself. It's about my heart being right with Him. But let's keep going. What do these Pharisees and scribes ask? They ask John several questions. And if you look at verse 19, the first question they ask is, who are you? That's a simple question, John. Who, who are you? And behind this question is not just we want to know your name. It's we want to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Who gave you authority to baptize these people? Who gave you authority to do this ministry? And if you look at John's answer in verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. What a weird answer. They come to John and they ask him, who are you? And he should have just said, I'm John the Baptist, right? 
No. He sees right through their question and he answers pretty quickly, I am not the Christ. As we bear witness, as we compare our witness as a church, as a family, as followers of Christ to John the Baptist, one thing we see is that John was an honest witness. We ought to be honest. We ought to be very clear in who we are and what our relationship with Jesus is like. When other people come and they question our faith, not necessarily questioning it as in, do you really believe that? Do you really believe God's Word? Not necessarily a skeptical questioning, but just simply an asking, do you go to church? Why do you go to church? Do you, do you, do you believe the Bible? What is it about the Bible that you, that you like so much? Right? I mean, if they question your faith, do you give clear, honest answers? John was ready with a clear answer. He didn't have to hem and haul around and try to think about, hmm, what are they really asking? What's, guys, let me get back to you on your question. He didn't, he didn't do any of that. John, the author, makes it very clear. I love it. He says he confessed. He did not deny, but confessed. There's repetition there on purpose. Because what he's showing is that John the Baptist was ready with an honest answer and it wasn't so much focused on who he was, but who he was not. I am not the Christ. I am not the Savior. I am not the one you've been expecting. He was quick to make sure they understood. I'm not claiming to be somebody I'm not. He understood who he was. He understood what his mission was, and he stuck to it. So they asked him this question in verse 21. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? In, in Malachi chapter 4, it says this. Oh, man. Somewhere here. There it is. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This is a book in the Old Testament, one of the prophets, right? This is the Messianic prophecy that, that, that Elijah would come and, and prepare for the coming of the Christ. And so the religious leaders of the day were thinking, okay, is John the, is he the Messiah? Is he the one that the Old Testament, the Savior that the Old Testament promised would come? And John says flat out, no, I'm not, right? I'm not the Messiah. Well, are you Elijah, the guy who's going to come and prepare the way? And he says, no, I'm not that guy. I'm not Elijah. Now, we know that Jesus later says that, that, that John is the fulfillment of this prophecy. But John the Baptist is not Elijah. John the Baptist is John the Baptist. So he was being honest in his answer. In Matthew chapter 11, this is what Jesus said about John. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you were willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So John the Baptist is a fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. He's on the scene doing what God promised even in Malachi that he was going to do, which is a pretty awesome thing to know that that's the way God works. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose from the beginning of time for you and me, right? But he tells the scribes and Pharisees, no, I'm not that guy. And then they finally say in verse 22, so they said to him, who are you? Well, actually in verse 20, I'm sorry, 21, it says, I, are you the prophet? And, they answered, and he answered, no. Now, what does this mean, the prophet? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, there was another prophecy. It said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. 
Now, this is another prophecy about the Messiah, the coming Christ. Now, it's inter- so, so the Christ and this prophet are the one, one and the same. We know that Jesus is both the prophet who would come. He's also the Christ. What's interesting is these scribes and Pharisees didn't know that. They thought they were different people. They misunderstood God's word. They misunderstood God's plan. They misunderstood what God was doing. That's interesting to note about those Pharisees and scribes because if you are, if, if you are all about religion, if, you are, if it's about your self-righteousness, if it's about you earning God's favor, you misunderstand God's plan. You misunderstand God's word. And here we see that even in the religious authorities of John's day. And so John the Baptist, in his witness to these Pharisees, these scribes, these priests, he was honest in how he answered them. But they're curious. Look at verse 22. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They're trying to find out what authority he has. Look at the answer he gives in verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. John was an honest witness. He was honest about himself. But he was also a vocal witness. This verse in verse 23 is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it says the very same thing. It says that there would be a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John, the Baptist, understood and knew that this was a verse about him. And he was to be a voice. I love the way the New Living Translation says this, that there would be one shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for Jesus. That's what his role was. That's what his job was. He was assigned by God to be a vocal prophet, to be one who would declare with his mouth that Jesus is coming. Is our ministry much different? Is our witness much different? Aren't we also to be honest as witnesses, but to also be vocal that we would declare, that we would share with others that Jesus is coming? Church, we are all about making a people ready for the coming of Christ. What's different and unique on this side of the cross is that His next coming is it. There's not a third. There's not a fourth. There's not another opportunity after. The day of salvation is today. The day of salvation for your friend, for your neighbor, for your coworker. They don't have, they are not promised tomorrow. You are not necessarily promised tomorrow. We are called as a church, as families, as members of his body, as prayer and Bible study groups, as ministry teams, as individual followers of Christ, as plumbers, as business owners, as farmers, as school teachers, as students, whatever it is you say that you do, our number one job is to make a people ready for his coming. You can't sit on the sideline. That's what the Pharisees were doing. 
because they thought they had it all together and I'm set and I'm ready. I'm just waiting on them to come. No, we have to have a concern for the people around us. We have to desire to go out and share the truth with people and make, make relationships, make connections with people. I mean, I tell you, I, one of the things, it's a struggle, I get it, I understand, because as a pastor, I work with a bunch of Christians, right? I have to try to find ways to build relationships. Sometimes I wish I were in your shoes where I'm around people who aren't walking with the Lord on a regular basis. Because they're right there. We have opportunities all the time to love people, to care for people, to talk to people, to be a vocal witness. Now, what's interesting about John the Baptist, his, what he says in verse 23, I'm the voice of one crying out in the world. What he shares, what he says to these religious leaders is consistent with God's plan because this is what God said would happen in Isaiah and in Malachi. What John talked about and what he shared with them was consistent with God's word and repentance. Take a look at verse 25. So they asked him, so, so they asked him, who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? No, he answers no to all of those things. And so in verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And so in 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. If you're taking notes, I put it on here. He's a bold witness. And don't we need to be? I mean, isn't that hard? Doesn't it take courage to talk to someone about Christ? Doesn't it take a boldness? I mean, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 4 when the early church, man, Peter and John, the same John who wrote this gospel, they had been arrested and they had stood in front of this council and had to give a defense for why they were sharing Jesus with other people. And when, and when, when things kind of got worse, the church was gathered in one place. And what did they pray? They prayed for boldness. Why? They wanted to continue sharing the gospel. They wanted to continue to be a witness. They wanted to be a bold witness. Here's John the Baptist. So if you go back and look at Matthew chapter 3, he dressed funny and he ate funny. All right? And here he is out in the wilderness away from the normal, regular routine of religious activity. And people are coming to him, listening to his message. They're being cut to the heart and repenting of their sins, confessing their sins and being baptized in the Jordan. And John the Baptist, who's not a priest, who's not a Levite, he's not, he's not qualified for these things. And here he has the audacity, according to these priests and Levites, to baptize these people. In that day and time, baptism was primarily for Gentile converts. So in other, in other words, if there, in Israel, if there was Gentiles who lived among them and they wanted, they recognized who God was and they wanted to come and be part of the Jewish community and they wanted to be part of, the, of, of God's people and they wanted to, to follow the commandments of Scripture and the law and the ceremonial laws, they wanted to do what was right, well, it took them a long time to be uh, welcomed into that family. And part of that being welcomed into the Jewish community was that they had to be baptized, which represented them being immersed in the water, represented their being clean and purified so that they could have access to the temple. 
and access to worship. But that was for Gentiles. And it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't like the Gentiles were coming in droves. It was something that was very few and sporadic. And the only ones who would baptize those Gentiles were the religious authorities who really questioned and scrutinized this gen- the Gentile coming forward, right? Who is John the Baptist to be baptizing? Who, what credentials does he have to do this? And not only that, he's not baptizing Gentiles, he's baptizing Jews. These are people who already belong. These are already God's people. John the Baptist was a bold witness. He was courageous. And his courage and his boldness wasn't just something he had by himself. His courage and boldness came because he was doing what he knew God had called him to do. He was fulfilling the word of God. Malachi 4, 5. Wouldn't it be awesome if you had a verse like like John did for you? John had a verse in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, right? About Elijah coming, preparing the way of the Lord. And and in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, that says that I'm I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness, make way, make straight the way of the Lord, right? Right? He had verses about him. What, What if you had a verse about you? Would that give you more boldness? Would it make you more courageous? Would it give you more of an urgency about doing what God has called you to do? Would it give you more of a compassion for the people around you? Man, you know what? you got a bunch of verses. I'll just give you one. I won't put it up here, but you've heard me say it before. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That verse is about you. That's your verse. That's, that's, there's others, but that's one of them that says that you are to go and make disciples of all nations and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has taught you. Now you got a verse. Are you following it? Are you doing it? Are you engaged? and helping people be ready for the coming of Christ. Man, let's keep going. i got a couple more. It won't be that long, I promise. Take a look at verse 26. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. put this in here. I thought it was as interesting. John was a sober-minded witness. He didn't take credit for himself. If you want to get the last point, the last point is this. John was a humble witness. I think these things go together. Because in John's life, his witness, his goal, his efforts, his work, his ministry, everything that he had was all about not putting himself forward. He could have easily answered these religious leaders and said, I'm John the Baptist. I'm the one that Malachi talked about. I'm the one that Isaiah talked about. I'm the one that has the ministry that gets everybody else ready for Jesus to come, right? Who are you to ask me who I am and what authority I have? He didn't come at it with that kind of attitude. He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet, right? I I baptize with water, but there's one you don't even recognize. He's coming. He's going to baptize with with the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He's so great. So John had a humble, a humility about his witness, but he's also sober-minded. What does that mean? He understood what his role was, and he didn't expect anything else. I, wanted, I, want, I know we might go over just a minute, but I want to leave you with these few things. To be sober-minded means to understand what your job is, what God has called you to do, how He's gifted you to do it, and that you just do that. You stay in your lane. In Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about this with the church. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. To be sober-minded tells us that we have limitations. I'll put it this way. If I had my way, I would give myself a superpower that I could go and talk to every one of your family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, whoever it may be, and that when I say to them, trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, automatically they get it, they understand it, and they want to receive it, and they take Him by faith, and they're born again, and they're following Christ. Like, I wish I had that superpower, but you know, I don't. There's nothing about me, there's nothing in me that can save anyone. And the same is true for you. We have limitations. You know what that means? That means we have to depend on someone else to do that. We have to depend on God to save people. We have to depend on God to do a work in their heart. We have to trust that God is going to do what He says He would do. It doesn't mean I don't share. It doesn't mean I'm not a witness. It doesn't mean that I don't talk to people. But it means that I'm limited. And we have to depend on Him. But you know, I'm also not, lim- I'm not just limited in what, what I can do, but we're also limited in our gifts. God has gifted me, I don't know why, but He's gifted me to be able to teach and to preach. And so that's what I'm doing. He's not gifted me with hospitality very well. He's not gifted me with mercy very well. He's not gifted me with, uh, I don't know if this counts, but sometimes I can be rude. I don't know what that would, you know, I mean, he's, there's things that you have that you're gifted with that I can't touch. I can't come close. And so we have limitations in how He's gifted us. He's gifted some to be leaders, gifted some to be preachers, gifted some to be evangelists, gifted some to be hospitable, gifted some to teach kids, gifted some to teach teenagers, gifted some to be administrators, gifted some to whatever. I mean, you can go through Scripture and see what the gifts are, but here's the deal. We're limited. Which means not only do we depend on God, but we depend on one another. We depend on each other. And we're limited in our reach. I don't know all that you know. I don't know everybody that you know. I can't just come to your workplace. I can't just show up at your school. I can't make it to everybody's house. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not making this about me. I'm just using this as an example. I'm limited in my reach. So are you. 
You're limited in your reach. Do you know what that means? It's interesting. I, with, with, with a friend of ours here, I share a neighbor back here. I share a few neighbors. And, and what's so cool about this is that I've been trying to get to know my neighbors a little bit, to love my neighbors. And a sister of mine is doing the same thing. And now we have this neighbor we've both at different times connected with. And we're both trying to find time to spend with this neighbor, to love on them. I share that because God is using not just you to reach your one, but he's using us to reach your one. We have limitations. We depend on God. We depend on one another. John was sober-minded in his witness. He didn't have this mindset that I'm the one, I'm the guy, I can do all of this. He said, no, I baptize with water. There's someone coming who's going to do greater things than me. He pointed others to Jesus in everything he said and everything he did. That's the ministry that John had. That's the person that he was in preparing people for the coming of Christ. The truth is, it's the mission that we have. That's the witness we ought to be. And we can't do it on our own. The person you're praying for who's far from God, yes, God can use you, but He can also use us. Does that keep you from doing your part? No, we all have to do our part. And I promise you, I promise you that when we depend on God and we depend on one another and we are committed to leading and doing what God has called us to do, He will reach many. I'm going to invite Christy to come and she's going to play for us. There's so many things that we can talk about, so many questions we can ask, so many ways that we can respond to this. But I think the question that I'm responding to is, am I being an effective witness for Jesus? Am I helping those in my circle, on my block, in my neighborhood, the people that I come in contact with, am I doing all that I can to help them know Jesus. Another way you might respond this morning is where we started at the very beginning. The need for repentance. John preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That tells us that we all have a problem. We all need a Savior. We all need someone who would come and forgive us of our sins that we might have a relationship with God and have eternity. And Jesus is our Savior. Maybe your response this morning is simply that. There's some things you need to turn away from. There's some things you need to repent of. And some things you need to turn to and let Jesus be Lord of your life. Let's take these moments. Let's pray and respond the Word of God.